Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Kimo Kippen, who was CLO for Hilton Hotels and recognised by CLO Magazine as Chief Learning Officer of the Year for 2015. So he really knows what he's talking about. But before we get started, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a rating on your podcast app of choice so that others can find us. And thank you to everybody who's done so already. Now let's get into it. Kimo, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thank you very much, David. It's great to be here with you. Now, Kimo, I often remark at how different L&D is at a senior leadership level compared to on the ground. From conversations to expectations, what I learned in the classroom never prepared me for director level. Do you think this is because we get hooked on activities and products and not on what we're really in organizations to achieve? I think that's certainly part of it, but I think where I would want to focus is more on the positive and, and really you know, where, where the focus starts with. And I think the focus starts always with the business. Mm-hmm. And by starting with the business, what I mean is as from a learning perspective, or shall I say from a functional perspective, First and foremost, I think we have to be great uh, business colleagues and great business partners. Mm-hmm. And, and then from there, uh, what that really then means is knowledge, competence, uh, everything about the business, how the, how the business makes its money, what matters to the business, what's important to the business. And then from a functional expertise or from a functional level, then how do we enable or how do we support that or how do we help to make that happen? I think to your point, if one were to get caught up in uh, more of a programmatic response or a product response, uh, that's where you can kind of tend to drop down and not be as strategic perhaps as you would want to be. But I think I always want to, I always try to try to always be the most strategic as possible, which it means always being linked to the business at the most strategic level obviously with you know the people that are in those roles that make an impact to the business that have the need you know from a learning perspective and let's face it um learning is at the core of what makes an organization successful so again i don't think it should be relinquished you know into into the bottom or to the you know to really drop down into the organization but really talking about learning as a core capability for capacity building and for you know capability building for the future. Because when you think about, again, from a learning perspective, it how quickly is our organization able to shift, move, adapt, adjust, evolve you know, to, the, to the demands of business. That all is another way of saying agility. Mm. That means that we have to learn Uh, in that essence, how we can be more agile as an organization to adapt to the needs of the business and the marketplace, be it whether in just a single town or from a global perspective, having having that ability to adjust ebb and flow to the business, Mm -hmm. uh, I think is really critical. And you've touched on a couple of areas um, uh, already around uh, strategy and, uh, and, and enabling the business to perform. And I wonder, Kimo, what did leadership in its, in it, at its fullest mean for you as CLO, say, of, of, of Hilton? Yeah, I, so for me, having the opportunity to serve as the chief learning officer for Hilton, I think it was just really that opportunity to, to be a great business partner. And so I, I, I always, 
um, I pride myself or really having that working knowledge at the organization, in this case, industry. Um, so I started in this business, the hospitality business as a bus boy uh, or a bus person, shall I say, and worked my way up into the organization. And, and that, that I think also helped me to gain further experience or further competence. Um, and then that was complemented by the work or the expertise that I achieved or was able to able to obtain specifically in the learning function really to how do we support the organization or enable the organization from a learning perspective mm-hmm. that ultimately culminating into being the, the chief learning officer. But again, I go back to, it's really all about being a great business partner that's really enabling and helping the business to achieve its strategic goals. And again, learning, you know, was and is at the core of that, in this case for Hilton. What I found, Kimo, when I was uh, Director of Learning and Talent at Disney is that I was exposed to conversations that I certainly wasn't exposed to um, when I was, say, serving my apprenticeship in the classroom. I think that uh, that you're quite right not to not to look at things negatively. Sometimes we've got to look at the uh, at the the hand that we've been dealt. And in the classroom, we're we are um, we, we're generally delivering content, and I'll speak generally uh, around isolated skill sets, whether that be um, uh, for core skill development or whether it be manager development. And it's really much. It's very much around the topic itself. And when you are within the confines of the classroom or as a business partner, you're hearing what the needs are from clients. It's not necessarily in the broader context of what's important to the organization. Now, when you are being told of um, existential threats to parts of the business that that as a, a leadership group need to be responding to, when you're talking about a deficit of uh, of skills, not necessarily from uh, just a a performance perspective, but but around the the what what is critical to the growth of the organization. It's in a very different context. And I would say that it wasn't until I was I was sitting on in on those conversations, either on the UK board or the European board at that level, that I realized the importance of learning and development. And that reframed that for me. I don't know whether you had uh, similar moments when you were, were you climbing the ladder or, and certainly at the senior level. Yeah, I, I, I think, David, it's right on, spot on, spot on. And that, that being is, I think of everything as in gaining the right to advance. Mm. So, you know, be it, you know, be it wherever you start in your career, if it's at an entry-level position from a learning perspective and you're delivering a particular workshop or program, you know, that, you know, first of what that then means is doing that really, really well. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, that's sort of step one. Step two would be able to demonstrate what is the impact of that particular program. So what are the, what are, what are the results? What impact does it, you know, not only was, so what are the results? What are the impact of the business? Um, and then I think the third thing there is then being able to tell that story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you tell that story in a way that demonstrates value um, to the organization, thereby, you know, in, thereby giving you the greater right to advance in this case with a senior business leader or to another function or to uh, a more strategic or to another strategic part of the organization. Um, the examples I can give you are many, uh, probably similar to Disney, uh, that 
you know, start, we, we had the opportunity to deliver one program for uh, revenue management and for both Disney and for both Hilton and Marriott, for example. Revenue management is at the core of what really makes the hospitality business work and function. Mm. But we're able to demonstrate a significant return on investment by, you know, by a ratio of 10 to 1 that if you were to invest X number of dollars in tuition, that it would return X number of dollars in actual um, top line, uh, top line sales and revenue that that had an impact to the business. When we shared that type of impact, when we told that story uh, to senior business leaders, they took off with it. They made it. They they shared it with others. They insisted then that everyone attend it, mm-hmm. uh, and it became a very much a self fulfilling prophecy uh, and program to that point uh, of being very very successful in the organization. Uh, and that's something that, again, was then made scalable and repeatable to all parts of the organization. Now, now, Kimo, one element of leadership is vying for and negotiating resources, certainly from learning and development. I think as a profession, it is, um, I think we are notorious for doing so much with so little. And I don't know too many large learning and development functions. And I have a question from a listener, Tom Bailey from Nestle. And he's asked, what insights can you shed on the planning and budgeting processes, along with all the politics that goes along with stakeholder management? Yeah, I think one of the things that I would do from a, to, to respond to that of how do you advance when it comes to the budgeting process? So again, let's try to not make this a transactional process. So now I've got to work on budgets. Uh, but really, let's kind of start way up strategically, We're much more upstream to have a conversation around, again, what is your purpose as an organization, the learning function within the organization? What is your vision and your mission? Uh, once I think you've defined that, then I think there's a question around governance. Mm-hmm. So how are you setting up uh, governance within, within, within the learning uh, function? And then I would then think about what are the key stakeholders that you're going to, that you're going to be working with and who are gonna be your key sponsors your key sponsors. Um, I would, to, what I would say basically is that success for me uh, was based on the ability to to have these, you know, key stakeholders, these key senior sponsors, be extremely supportive uh, of uh, of the learning function in this case of of the university. And it allowed us to do amazing things, whereby our budget just kept increasing and increasing and increasing. Um, the other thing that I would suggest avoiding um, is, is being an order taker. Mm. You know, that we're not just order takers saying, you know, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, three bags full, we'll get that for you right now. But it's really doing that, that important analysis, that good needs assessment up front, doing that work up front to determine, first of all, is it really a learning issue or a training issue? Because Many people will point to it, oh, this is a true, we got a training problem, when in fact it may not be a training problem at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think we have to, you know, really kind of get under that a little bit um, to determine that and then to rightly scope it, you know, to, to properly scope it and size it right to make sure that we are getting the necessary uh, resources in order to accomplish that. The other thing I think is, is prioritization and that there needs to be the ability that there has to be a prioritization process built into your budget process so that thereby you are working with business to say, 
you know, as you look across the landscape, that you are, again, scoping these things appropriately, that you're determining what the resources that are going to be required, the time frame in which to complete it to the level of quality that's being requested, um, and how we're going to be able to demonstrate results. Um, given all of those dimensions, you know, then how would that get prioritized within the business? The last thing I think we want to do is to become a, you know, a, a that the, the, the channel or the funnel gets plugged um, because of capacity. So I think then that we have to think about, you know, capability building and capacity building so that we're able to source these initiatives, be it internally or externally to again, meet the needs of the uh, needs, the needs of the business. The other thing that I would also be say not to be afraid of is saying no, um, you know, that, there, there comes a point in time when there are going to have to be trade-offs that are going to be made. And when making those trade-offs, I think it's a matter of going back to the business and actually trading off to the business to say, what's, you know, we have this as a priority. We've now entered this as a priority, a second piece, you know, what takes, what, in what case, what would, what would take greater priority for you, the business? Um, and then if they say, well, both are equally as important, then, then I think it's incumbent upon us to say, well, then in order to achieve that, given the, t you know, given the time frame or again, the quality or the, how we choose to demonstrate impact, these are the additional resources, or this is the additional change in staging that we're going to need to have to make in order to get that accomplished. So I, I do see it as, you know, a, a negotiation process. Usually those things are led from a, you know, from a program management office or from another part of the business that's leading that dance for the budget process. Obviously, I would start early, start soon. Uh, and, you know, if you're budgeting on a calendar year, you know, it's already by May, you know, May and, May and June that you're already talking about budgets for the year to come. So uh, these things do take time. Obviously, they do change. Uh, they are dynamic, but I, I think it's incumbent upon us to, you know, to, to get the necessary fund funding and also to determine as a part of scope, is this something that's just a one-year scope? Is there a business case that's going to be required to it that if we were doing a major transformation, for example, like digital transformation uh, or a significant, a significant project that's going to require a platform change, for example, that that needs to be planned for and budgeted for accordingly where it could have, you know, anywhere from a three to a five year lifespan in terms of, of the budget and the budgeting. You've, uh, you've hit on uh, some, some key elements there, Kimo. Um, none more so than uh, the not, well, first of all, say no and not being an order taker. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an anxiety of, uh, of modern learning and development right now. I think that uh, we used to see uh, alignment to the business by saying yes to, to requests. It was almost validation of, uh, of, of, of our very being. Um, but, but you saying there that, uh, that, that not taking orders. But also I think it's uh, important to stress what you'd said earlier about understanding um, your organization strategy and fundamental to what you're, you're there to do, understanding how different parts of your business or your, how parts of your business make money or as Kevin M. Yates would describe, how your organization defines winning. So you are, you're aligned to helping them achieve what is primary on their list of, uh, of priorities and not creating some parallel universe where we've isolated skill sets and we measure ourselves on who's come along, who's finished it, and who's happy with what they experience. It is 
key and fundamental to, to what everybody in the organization or certainly their part of the organization is there to achieve. Which leads me nicely on to my next question, because in your LinkedIn profile, um, I don't wish this, this to seem like an interrogation for which I've done, <laughs> done a background <laughs> check on you, Kimo. Uh, but you mentioned that, uh, that as well as transforming the learning and development culture, uh, I think you, uh, you meant at Hilton, you improved the company's guest scores, brand loyalty and global market foothold. Yet L&D are often reluctant to tie activities to organizational outcomes, um, thinking that the accountability, the accountability lies with the leaders and the individuals themselves. Should this be the case? Yeah, well, again, I think it depends on uh, really the scope and the nature of the project. Um, so, and what again is how does the business define what success look like? Mm -hmm. um, how the business would define success. Um, so to that point, if if we, we need to be able to demonstrate, you know, impact, to what level do they want to show that? And, you know, I mean, it certainly is possible to, to do that all the way linking back. So, for example, um, a guest service initiative or a guest training program initiative, obviously with Disney, you're familiar with that as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, being able to link that back, you know, to the, to the, to the team member, to the employee, um, to the associate, uh, thereby linking that back, you know, to levels of engagement or levels of connecting that back to uh, guest satisfaction, um, and that can be linked to that can be linked to brand loyalty, or that could be also linked to profitability. All of that is certainly possible. Uh, now, that to do that kind of level of work that takes that all the way back to to ROI probably would take some work it would also take time because you want to be able to demonstrate that over over a period of time but it all is certainly possible it's just that we need to plan for that or for that the other on the other side of this equation or is it something that we just want to check the box on to say that we've done it and that we have our team members our you know or employees are acknowledging that they have had that particular awareness delivered through a training program as a result of you know going through that going through that particular program. So I think it, the answer is it depends. Um, it's just a matter of question of how we scope that and and to what level of depth do we want to go to be able to demonstrate impact. Mm -hmm. We've talked about strategy, an organization strategy, chemo, and I'd like to to know where you stand on L&D strategy, because I have heard it said that L&D shouldn't have a strategy, but that the strategy is set by the organization and that L&D's role is to support it. Whilst on the other hand, some L&D functions have separate strategies for different approaches, for example, a digital learning strategy. So where do you stand on this? Yeah, I think maybe it's a little bit of semantics, um, David, where you're going with that. I obviously, first and foremost, it's always to be aligned to the business. Mm -hmm. And you know where what what are the business needs, you know, and then from a learning perspective, the question is how do you enable that? That becomes then partly of your uh, learning journey, uh, and I would say your roadmap. Uh, and then what are going to be you know starting again with the strategy? What is going to be your strategy to support that? What's your organizational structure going to be look look like that from a, within the learning department? You know, uh, when you think about structure, do you want it to be a centralized model, a decentralized model, or maybe more of a federated model? What is the model that's going to best meet the needs of the business? Mm -hmm. You know, then who are the players that you want to have into those positions? 
Um, and then what are the systems, platforms, or tools um, that you want to have in place that support the people, that supports the structure, that supports the strategy? <laughs> Classic McKinsey um, in terms of the model that I just described. But again, I think you do need to have that defined mm. uh, from, you know, from a learning or training perspective within your organization. And then I think you need to have people clearly um, that are they're in the learning or the learning team or the, tra the training team, they have a very, very clear understanding of what they're responsible for, what are their expectations in their particular role, what does success look like in their role. Um, and again, now I'm looking more inwardly to the function itself and to the people in the function, but so that we too can demonstrate and we too can tell that story, you know, from a, from a learning or training perspective. The other thing I also think about is for the internal career paths and or career paths within the learning, within the learning function, how that's integrated into the business. And for example, I know some companies that are very intentional that before they move a person into a significant role, like a general manager or a managing director role, they have them spend time in the training or learning department. Mm. Um, that's because they, because when you think about really the significance or learning of training and being able to identify, you know, the, understand the importance of learning to the organization and then the importance of succession planning and the importance of preparing future leaders for tomorrow, your ability to do that is paramount to, you know, if you were to win the lottery and you were to leave tomorrow, you know, how are we going to fill that void? Hmm. So, you know, having that learning and training understanding um, and how that works within the organization is really critical to the success, really when we're thinking about it from both an operational perspective, you know, being able to execute that globally around the world and on how things get done, um, as well as from a strategic perspective around where are we going for the future and how, again, being agile is at the core of our being able to grow for the, you know, to, to grow our business for the future. Which... I mean, there's a, there's a great deal of critical analysis there to be done, as well as a, an understanding of the, the learning and development's function within an organization, which a lot of the time is, uh, is, is beyond the, um, the, the maintenance and delivery of programs, much more about plugging into um, existing and future needs of the organization, which sometimes is beyond the remits of perhaps a, a, a learning and development manager or a, a more junior head of. You've, I mean, you've, you've clearly got a great deal of experience in, uh, in, in considering that. Um, and I want to talk about the, the professional little um, chemo in the, you know, it's been said and it's been said on this podcast that in the, fa in the face of so much disruption in business, L&D has largely remained the same whether it's in the delivery of programs, whether it's the provision of online content, which is seen as supplementary to face-to-face -face content, measuring time away from work alongside satisfaction as being the key metrics. Now, it's been said that for a department that advocates change and development, we're neglecting our own skill set, especially with regard to uh, data analysis and digital, digital capability and digital content development. Um, which I suppose can be an example of that is that so much technology is outsourced to, to single vendors. Um, I wonder how you see the state of L&D today with regard to 
uh, a gap in what's required and what exists as a skill set. And um, here's the $64,000 question. What do we need to do? <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I think about this this question often. I probably, probably one of the most important questions. Um, and I would describe it as we in the learning and development function are probably in the most, I would say, dynamic and it's sort of our day in the sun. Mm -hmm. uh, it's such an exciting time to be, uh, to be in learning. Um, and, and or you might want to, we might want to think of this, it's not just around learning, but it's also really around development. So mm -hmm. it's really the development of human capital, human potential, uh, being all that it can be within the context of the organization. Uh, and, and then that leading to obviously to the success of the organization. Uh, so I, I think it's really a great, a great time to be in the organization, um, to be in the learning, to be really in the learning space. Um, given that, I, I think what do we need to do is, I think it's really then incumbent upon us to really one, again, know the business, know what are the metrics that by which success is measured by, be competent about the business, but then also, also be very keen or very aware of, you know, the, of, of where the space is going. And when I think about that, I, I think really it's about how do I continue to stay relevant mm -hmm. in, in the space? What am I doing to think about the future of work? What am I thinking about, you know, when I think about a hundred year life, uh, what does that mean? You know, uh, what does the future of work mean? How does learning play into the space of that? Um, I think what you'll find is that it all points to learning is at the center, the epicenter of, of all of that. Mm -hmm. um, again, it's a very, very exciting time, but what are you doing? What are we doing to stay relevant? Um, and I do think this whole notion around digital transformation obviously is sort of leading that way when it comes to machine learning, artificial intelligence, you know, um, quantum physics and quantum theory, that these things can be taking place on parallel universes, literally, um, and how, what that means to the business in terms of how business, you, know, you think of blockchain and how that's all evolving. And again, these large scale platforms uh, that, that are now being, you know, that are being used, um, how are we, you know, staying in front of that, um, again, to, to lead that way for the organization. And, and, I, and I do think it then, you know, we really talk about really transformation. Uh, and where are you in, in the, playing a role in, in that level of transformation. What I find interesting, um, and I think it's going to shift over time, is that where learning reports to in the organization. And I would be more of the proponent that learning should not really, I mean, I think you have to look at this within the context of each organization, but where I'm seeing a lot of change happen in very in many, I would say, leading edge or bleeding edge organization is those organizations where learning does not report into human resources, it reports directly into the business or directly into strategy. Um, so that if it's reporting into strategy, you're then talking about learning as a core keep capability from a capacity perspective uh, and you know, from a capacity and capability perspective that's going to prepare the organization for its next wave of growth. Mm. And so you have to think of this like in terms of a growth curve, how are we always sort of at that leading edge, bleeding edge, preparing for that next wave? 
Um, there's a lot of work that's being done around this um, some research I was just recently reading by Rita McGrath. Um, and, and she talks about, you know, what's around the corner. Um, are, are you aware of, like, it's that notion of Wayne Gretzky, like where, it's not where the hockey putt's been, but it's where it's going to go. Yeah. Where is the organization going to go? And can you anticipate, if you think about a constant growth curve model of you can, where things are already happening, when they should be signals to you that the business evolving is the business is changing, mm. that you need to already start preparing for that next wave and or that next cycle of growth, rather than staying back in the one that you're focused on, focusing, executing on, that you have to have, you have to allow for capacity and capability to be prepared for what's coming. Um, my guiding principle would try to see if we could have somewhere about 20% of that capacity within the organization from a learning perspective, be prepared for or preparing for that next wave of growth that's going to take place within the organization. Mm, that's interesting. I'm seeing uh, learning and development functions now reporting into operations, um, which is a, um, an interesting uh, development uh, certainly for them because it, of course it's a very different dynamic to to being part of uh, of HR. You talking about strategy there? My mind went to workforce planning, and so if uh, if workforce planning is uh, is, is is being informed um, from the strategy, where does L and D fit into there? Does it does it go through the buffer of of HR or does it work directly with strategy and workforce planning? It's uh, you get very different uh, outputs yeah. or, or experiences as a, as a result of either of those. Yeah, I think it kind of goes back, David, to um, how do you gain the right to advance? So I'm, mm. you know, working with um, some other organizations, you know, they were a manufacturing company and, and clearly the way to advance in this particular company was through operations. And as a result, in this case, this business leader, what she was able to do was to really demonstrate the impact that learning had on the organization and how much time she was able to save of, you know, of, you know, of helping people get to the level of readiness to be able to, you know, perform their jobs, mm -hmm. being able to, to clearly articulate the time that was saved in order to do that. She just gained a tremendous amount of credibility um, and therefore was constantly being, okay, so what can we do next? And where are we going to go next? And how do we bring that level of expertise to another part of our business or in this case to another part of manufacturing? But that was all gaining the right to advance. Do you know what they, you, you call that the right to advance. I call that currency. That, uh, that it, it is, it's one of those, it's an intangible. You can't see it. And until you, you can actually describe it and you... Um, uh, acknowledge that it exists and that it's important to you. I feel that that as a leader, you can you can be impotent. Uh, but the recognition that you need to develop the currency, and I talk with new heads of and L and D managers about this a lot. And there is a little bit of you develop the currency just as much by saying yes to stuff that you don't fully believe in to pull to get people on your side. Once you've got currency, you can spend that elsewhere. But what you're describing there is. As, as, as I've interpreted, after uh, demonstrating business value to your stakeholders, and this is Tracy Waters at Sky does, uh, you know, operating replace of truth with data, then you gain enormous currency. And of course, it's then what you choose to do with that once you've had that currency that can really make the shift. And it sounds as if what you're describing there is somebody who has made a demonstrable difference and whose currency is... Uh, has increased incredibly for them to do what they what they want to do. 
Yeah, I think once to your point, it's the, I do agree. It's that notion of currency. And once you have that level of credibility within the organization, I think what we're talking at the end of the day about is the ability to develop relationships, the yeah. ability to collaborate, um, and ultimately to create greater trust. Yeah. And, you know, with those later, you know, with that level of trust um, in the organization that, you know, you, you together will be able to accomplish great things, you know, with, with, with the business. Which leads me on then, um, Kimo, uh, thinking about the, uh, the modern CLO. Um, and I'm, I'm assuming that, uh, that you, you still have your, your network connections and, uh, and those you work with. What keeps the modern CLO awake at night? Yeah, well, I think the space, what keeps the modern CLO awake at night, and I think the space is under a great deal of, of change and disruption. Um, I think the title as we know it is probably going to shift. Um, last week I was in the States and uh, it was interesting. The person that I was with, um, their title was, you know, chief employability officer. Mm-hmm. Um which again, I, I see that as a very, that's a progressive title, right? Because when you think about organizations and the way they're shifting and changing, you hear, think about the future of work and a hundred year life, that it's really not about jobs for the future, although it certainly is about jobs, but it's really about skills, mm-hmm. right? What are the skills that I, we are going to need for the future? Uh, how do we help people to stay evergreen and, and and think about it from an employability perspective that I would have a portfolio of skills that are demonstrated through the experiences that I've had to the ability to execute those skills that lead to great impact would ensure, you know, that I would be engaged for another, yet again, another, another opportunity. But it's, it's thinking of it differently. Like I'm not just in a job, but I am demonstrating the skills that are going to be, you know, useful, necessary for the future. Uh, and therefore my need to stay, you know, evergreen and up, you know, to stay upskilled and just to continue to be, you know, in this case, upskilled um, is really paramount. So, that then requires that we're always learning. That leads to this notion of lifelong learning. Uh, but I really think the goal is more than just lifelong learning. It's about lifelong employability. That's mm-hmm. why I have this, uh, this conversation around employability and what are the skills, uh, what are the, ex- the portfolio of experiences that, you know, that are able to reflect those achieved skills uh, and you being able to again demonstrate um, and, cre- and demonstrate and create value. So that's where this, I think the shift is really taking place in the space. And again, that's what I think makes it such a, a such an interesting time. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm, I'm seeing the shift as well as as much as I'm seeing the uh, the conversation changing on social media from learning to performance. You know, you saying there from uh, from uh, from CLO um, uh, the the shift, and I've uh, I have experience and know somebody who's who took the learning out of the the chief learning officer uh, and wanted to to focus on organizational effectiveness um yes. which which they felt was more um more aligned to what 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 they were in the organization to do i like employability i worked with a client who uh, changed um career management their career management efforts to employability recognizing the role of the individual in that 
and yeah. the partnership of of the HR and learning and development function, but the onus being on the individual. It's interesting yeah, how- I love that shift, yeah. David, that you're mentioning the shift to the individual. And if you notice, if you just say employability, that already implies a shift to the, to the individual or to the mm. employee. Um, or um, as we're talking about, you know, ever so, ever so much today, the contingent workforce um, mm. and the gig workforce. And again, being able to have those skills at your fingertips to, um, both internally or as a, as a gigger um, or in the gig economy. Uh, but again, our ability, you know, people are shifting and moving away from resumes really to more of a portfolio. Mm. Uh, and think about it as an internal, you know, and as an internal process as well as external in being able to reflect, you know, your, your core skills and capabilities. Now, Kim, I'd like to, you to put on your uh, your hiring manager hat for a moment uh, and talk about careers in L&D today because there'll be plenty of listeners who want to advance in our profession. Uh, now, first of all, as we do, what skills and capabilities would you be looking for in a modern L&D professional were you hiring today and representing the in-house CLO? Yeah, I think, um, it, again, uh, when I think about a, a team, obviously, is what are we looking for within the team to to be able to you know uh, round that out in terms of what we're looking for within the organization. But I, I again, I go back to uh, I call these power skills, but I, I kind of go back to all the things that are more invisible to you know in terms of my skills. And I, I think again, at a more junior level. I would want to know that they have the necessary skills, whether it be to design, develop, deliver, uh, what, whatever mode, medium, or whatever it may be. Um, but again, as they move further up into into the organizational organizational perspective, it's those power skills that I really want to and I really want to focus around, uh, which would be you know around integrity and reliability, dependability, honesty, you know, the ability to be you know trustworthiness. Mm -hmm. um, these, these are skills that I think go both all the way up and down in terms of the organization, uh, particularly within, you know, from a, from a hierarchy perspective, those are critical, critical skills, obviously business thinking skills as well. Uh, but what, you know, again, leading to being able to be a great partner to the business is what I'm going to look for demonstrating capability in. Um, and, um, and, and then being able to, you know, really deliver um, on that, to deliver on the results. So uh, however one may think about, you know, being able to tell that story, but the most common approach um, that I, I think about from an interviewing perspective um, is using this sort of STAR approach, which would be situation, task, action, and result. But, you know, when asked a question, or in a job interview, for example, would be always to start with, you know, when asked, you know, can you tell me a time that was the most difficult that you had to deal with, uh, or was the most challenging, you know, you would be able to cite a particular situation. What was the task that you, you were, you, you just, that needed to be accomplished? What was the action that you took to accomplish that task? And then what was the result or what was the impact of that? Um, that's, you know, in a nutshell, what I kind of look for in terms of great answers to any question. Um, I can say from the, in the US perspective, from the federal government, they used an approach sort of similar, it's called CACAR, and it was, what is, the con what is the context C? What is the next C, which would stand for challenge? 
the A would be again for action and the R would be for result. Mm -hmm. But again, being able to tell that story in an interview and, and being able to answer any question that you may be given, uh, being able to, you know, be able to tell that story. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm at the end of the day, I would say to answer your question, it would really be around your ability to, you know, for great leadership. So what I'm always thinking about is, you know, when, I, when I'm thinking about people and their potential, I'm always thinking about what is their potential for the, not for the job that they're going to have, you know, today or tomorrow, but what is it about the job that they're going to have the day after tomorrow? Mm -hmm. And where is that for the future? Um, I go back to also then that links to pipeline. What are we doing to create the pipeline for the future? Because what ends up happening sometimes is by putting in a position, by putting someone in a position that maybe is not movable for whatever reason, you are thereby blocking that pipeline. And therefore what you end up doing is you just, you block that whole channel. Um, and that's, that makes it very, very then tough, you know, tough to be able to correct it and it creates stagnation in organizations and that's not good that's not good either an example that i can share with you is a i'm aware of some organizations that require that you can you can't work there more than five years you actually have to leave you know and you actually have to go away because what they're looking for is again they don't want people to get to rest too much on their loyals they want you laurels they want you to move on you're welcome to come back but you need to leave mm. Because again, what they're trying to do is they're trying to shift the organization to kind of again keep it as agile and as nimble as they possibly can for the future. Well, that is interesting. Now, Kimo, my final question: um, I'd like to, you to take off your hiring manager hat and pop on your mentor hat um, yeah. and answer: What does it take to move from management? In your opinion, what does it take to move from management into senior leadership in L and D today? And what could people be working on to develop themselves to be ready? Yeah, so I, I think the ability to always move up is, again, is demonstrating um, being able to demonstrate in a positive way the impact that you're having on the on having a great impact on the business. Uh, and so that's, you know, again, everything we think, I think we've talked about being able to be a great business partner, being a great internal consultant, um, being a great competent. And again, I I also say one of the things probably not to use is what I call mumbo jumbo. Mm -hmm. um, the organization or the business really doesn't care that you know about, you know, you know, you name the model. They don't really necessarily care that you know about these particular models. What they do care about is that you know the business and that you care about the business and you care about them. Um, so, you have got to, you know, to be able to demonstrate all the time rather than saying, oh, you know, well, we're going to do a level four, or level five evaluation. Who knows even what you're talking about? Yeah. Do, you know, or do I care? So I, I think it's about always keeping it real, keeping it realistic, practical, um, the ability to execute, get things done and demonstrate results is really what I think um, business is looking for today. Wonderful. Uh, Kimo, this has been a hugely enlightening conversation. Uh, if people want to connect with you and follow your work now, how can they do so? Um, I'm certainly on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm more than happy to, um, or they're always happy to check out, you know, my my website as well, mm -hmm. uh, lawlearningadvisors.com. Uh, and, you know, 
feel, feel free also, of course, David, to share my email address with them, which is uh, aloha at pobox.com or chemo kippen at gmail.com. All of that works, um, but happy to help in any way. And again, I would just want to conclude by saying one, thank you to you, David, for the invitation. Number two, that, you know, there's, this is probably our day in the sun. This is probably the, one of the greatest times to be, I think, in the learning space. Uh, particularly with all the advancements in technology, creating greater capacity and capability, and how we can captivate on that and to be a positive force um, to support that um, in our world today. Wonderful. So thank you, Kimo. Thank you for being a guest on the Learning Development Podcast. Absolutely. Anytime. It's clear that Kimo is a heavyweight in our profession and it was an honour to hear his stories and benefit from his vast experience. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now. <laughs>